0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to
1: reddoorchurch.com.au. On page 1098 in your church Bibles, uh, Revelation 15 we'll start with. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, For with them, God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works. Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you because your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image the second poured out his bowl into the sea it turned to blood like that of a dead person or life in the sea died the third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood i heard the angels of angel of the waters say you are just the Holy One who was who is and who was because you have passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the Saints and the prophets you have given them blood to drink they deserve it I heard the altar say yes Lord God the Almighty true and just are your judgments The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores but they did not repent of their works. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty, look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked, and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people. And they blasphemed God for the plague of hell because that plague was extremely severe. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
0: Well, it's pretty intense. We're jumping back into Revelation this morning. As you just heard, we're in week 11 of 15. Um, I can't recap the last 10 sermons uh, this morning, but uh, they're all online if you want to go back to them. Um, the big idea is that the book of Revelation is a first century book written to first century people about first century things, uh, but the, the truths of Revelation echo throughout history and have application for us today, and um, uh, we've seen, especially in the last part uh, the last five sermons, um, that basically the big idea of that middle section of the book is that God's people are suffering great injustice, and that God's response to that injustice is judgment. He is the bringer of justice to an uh, to an unjust situation. So we're going to see that here this morning. We've uh, we've witnessed the fact that the opposition to god's people the persecution of them uh, comes both in in the form of kind of spiritual opposition spiritual powers spiritual enemies as well as political powers political enemies we saw that remember with the two beasts of the land and the sea representative of both political and religious power uh the beasts who oppose god's people all of these powers are being kind of uh Mobilized and motivated, energized by the supreme enemy of God and his people, the dragon, that's Satan. And uh, so, what's happening is that uh, all of this is sort of culminating towards the final battle between good and evil, which we've just heard uh, read in chapter 16. We'll get there by the end of this message today. But you remember that uh, the early part of the book was kind of focused on the fact that these people of God, these faithful followers of Jesus, are suffering persecution, suffering injustice, suffering tyranny, and they, their response, particularly those who have been slaughtered for their faith, those martyrs who are in the throne room of God already, they are crying out to God, how long? You might have made a similar cry in your own experience. How long, how long are you going to stand by and allow this kind of injustice? And God's response is one of judgment, one of anger, one of wrath. We've seen that represented in three lots of seven. Lots of sevens in the book of Revelation. Uh, the the number that represents completeness or fullness. So we had seven seals of God's judgment. The seventh one opened the seven trumpets of God's judgment. The seventh trumpet announced the seven bowls that we're going to read about this morning. Seven bowls of God's judgment, uh, the third and final collection of God's judgments, and they have been, if you remember or if you've noticed, they have been escalating in severity. And so we come to the most severe collection of God's judgments here this morning, and there is good news. I want to encourage you, there is good news to come. So let's just jump in and and read a little more about it. If you go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 15, we see these seven angels and their seven judgments come onto the scene. Verse 1, then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. This is the final judgment. Once, I mean, it's not, the, it's not the final judgment of the book. Remember, Revelation doesn't work chronologically. We're not reading like a Western story with a beginning, middle and end. It kind of circles around itself. It's a bit like a spiral staircase. Uh, and uh, and there's, um, there's more to come after this. We've still got a few chapters. But this picture that we're given here in chapter 15 and 16 is the picture of this final judgment, this final battle, God finally dealing with those who oppose him and oppress his people. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the anger of God is not like our favorite subject to talk about in the church One of the great things and one of the reasons we're so committed to preaching through whole books of the Bible is because it forces us to talk about these things. God sets the agenda for what we talk about. But I think our um, reticence to talk about God's judgment and our kind of almost like embarrassment to talk about some of these passages probably reflects the fact that not many of us have in our lives suffered injustice. I'm not speaking for everyone, I know for a fact that some of you have suffered great injustice, but I think it's true to say that the people who struggle most with the coming judgment of God are generally those who haven't suffered much injustice. From what I hear, suffering Christians around the world, Christians who are actually being slaughtered for their faith, love the book of Revelation. It promises something to them that they desperately wanna see. They wanna see justice. They are crying out, how long, O Lord? How long do we have to live in constant fear that just because we are seeking to follow you and stay Faithful to you, we are threatened with jail or death or just run of the mill, like lack of economic opportunities. Whatever the form of oppression comes in, people who are suffering those things love the promise of God that He will do justice on the earth. You can see why, right? I mean, Here's, here's, here's the fact. All of us desire justice. It's pretty much hardwired. Unless you're some kind of psychopath, you, want, you, you love seeing justice. Just look at all of our movies, all of our stories. If there is not some form of justice done, it irks us. Like if the bad guy wins in the end, we're like, what the hell is this? Kids know this. Kids have a very strong sense of justice. Before the world kind of makes them cynical, they're they're like, no, good needs to beat bad. That's the way the world should work. I think it's just wired into them by God himself. God himself is just. We're made in his image. And you just need to look at every kid's movie ever made, and this is the storyline, right? It's a very biblical storyline. Just think about, like, the. in fact, look, The Lion King. Right? It's, it's, very, it's, it's very biblical. It has the same kind of arc. I won't go into it now. Think about it later. But, see, in, in the Lion King, it's not enough that Simba gets to return to his kingdom and take the throne. It's not enough. Scar has to be dealt with as well. We need both of those things, right? It's not enough for the good guys to win. We need the bad guys to be punished. We have this strong sense of justice and it's only the fact that not many of us are suffering injustice that we fail to see the good news of God's coming judgment. I say this like f- foremost, like I'm a, I'm a 40-something white guy, like I'm not suffering any injustice, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing fine, um, you know? Some, some of you are worse off than I am, and maybe this resonates a little bit more, but I, have to really, I really have to get my mind into the, the context of the book to understand why this is good news. John, who wrote the book, was writing to Christians who were suffering. They were being actively persecuted, and John himself was writing from exile on a rock, in the middle of the Mediterranean remember he said this way back in uh, chapter 1 I think it's verse 9 yeah he says I John your brother and partner in the affliction that's their common ground he's writing to foreigners he's writing to Turks right he's modern-day Turkey at that point it was kind of Western uh, Asia he's writing to them that what he has in common with them is his faith in the Lord Jesus and his affliction at the hands of the Romans. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Christ Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's the only reason he's suffering. That's the case for so many suffering Christians today. Just stop paying attention to the word of God Stop testifying, witnessing to the Lordship of Jesus, and you'll be fine. So many of the prison cells that Christians find themselves in today are locked from the inside. All they have to do is renounce the Lord Jesus, and they don't. And their judgment in this life is unjust but the judgment that is to come is just righteous and good. Hmm. So, let's just read about it. Remember, we're reading apocalyptic literature, so there's a lot of language here that doesn't, it's kind of weird to us. But I hope the the thrust of the message is clear to us by by the end. All right, let's go to verse 2 to 4 of chapter 15. I also saw something like a sea of glass, John says, mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. It's apt that they sing the song of Moses. You know, if you've been here for this series, the book of Exodus is just like threaded all the way through the book of Revelation. It's very foundational, the book of Revelation. We've talked in the last three weeks about our vision as a church and the book of Exodus is threaded all the way throughout vision as a church the book of exodus is so foundational for our faith and it's apt that they sing it here because the 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 vision that we're about to see has echoes of the exodus in it remember god's people subjugated enslaved in the, the land of israel a tyrannical king is overseeing their That That's Pharaoh. God's people cry out to God and he hears them. He sends Moses along with Aaron to challenge Pharaoh, to challenge him to repent. Repent of your sin. Let my people go so that they might worship me. Pharaoh refuses to repent and God sends plague after plague designed to bring him to repentance, establish God's supremacy over him who thinks he is God incarnate, and to liberate his people. That's exactly what's going on here. These plagues that we're about to hear that have echoes of the Exodus plagues are designed to bring those who oppose God to repentance, They're designed to liberate God's people, not just into a promised land, but into a new creation, a new Jerusalem. Now notice these angels with their bowls of judgments, their plagues come from the temple. They come from the temple because these judgments are right and holy and just. These are not just like the, the, the whims of an arbitrary ruler. They're not just uh, God got fed up with people uh, not obeying him and so he's going to start throwing lightning bolts. This is not what's going on. These judgments are absolutely just. We can't trust the judgments of earthly judges. They might be doing their best, but there are wrongful convictions and people get away with all kinds of things. I heard earlier this week the rate of uh, sex offenders who never get prosecuted is through the roof. It's wrong. We can't trust human institutions to do the right thing at all times, but God's judgments are perfect, they're just, they're righteous. Verse 5 to 7 says of chapter 15. After this I looked and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues dressed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chests. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Just in the same way as God sent plagues against Pharaoh for the liberation of his people and to bring him to repentance. So it is with these plagues at the very end of all things. God deeply desires that none should perish, but that all should turn to Christ and live. God doesn't delight in the condemnation of anyone made in his image. He says these judgments not just because they're just, but because they're designed to have an effect, to bring us to our knees, to... To to recognize our brokenness, to recognize our willfulness, and to turn to him for mercy. And we've seen, actually, a couple of times in this book, they have had that effect. People have turned and repented. They've seen the awe-inspiring anger of God, and they have been brought to repentance. Praise God. There is repentance scattered throughout this book, but there's also willfulness. There's also hard heartedness. Just like Pharaoh's heart was hardened in response to these plagues and judgments of God, so it is in this book, so it will be at the final judgment. Jump ahead to verse 8 to 11 of chapter 16. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The tragedy of this couple, of these couple of chapters are that The design of God's plagues to bring these people to repentance doesn't come to fruition. Instead of bowing the knee and acknowledging God's righteousness and holiness and rightness, goodness, they blaspheme Him. They do not repent. And then Jesus chimes in. He chimes in at verse 15 and 16. He says, look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. Jesus talked a lot about this in his parables of the the coming kingdom. Preparedness, alertness, not being caught out. Not being caught unprepared. That's what the, the metaphor is there, of being naked, ashamed. He's coming like a thief. He's coming when we least expect it. He's coming in a way that won't necessarily have a whole lot of uh, signs paving the way for it. There is a sense of urgency that the person who has ears to hear these words, a sense of urgency that one ought to have when you consider the coming judgment of God. Look, I'm coming like a thief. And so we come to the last battle, the final judgment, the seventh bowl. Let's read 17 to 19. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Babylon. Babylon, symbolic here of the Roman Empire. John's first readers understood it as such. The Roman Empire itself, the source of the great oppression of God's people, the seat of so much opposition to the gospel, is judged. Babylon, symbolic not just of Rome but of every unjust, tyrannical, oppressive regime throughout the course of history. The empires of the earth will fall at the last battle. Good to remember whenever we feel overwhelmed by helplessness at the might of nations, that flex their muscles and oppress not just God's people, but people's everywhere. According to the economy of so many of our leaders, might is right, right? It's, It's whoever's the biggest and the strongest and the baddest wins. This book says, only for a short time. Babylon, Rome, every oppressive empire on the face of the earth was remembered, remembered in God's presence. The great message of this book for those who are suffering injustice is that no one gets away with anything. You need to hear that. I know that some, I know too well that some in our congregation have suffered such great injustice that it has shaped and misshaped your entire life and you have had to pay a much greater price than your oppressor has ever had to pay and will pay on this earth but no one gets away with anything. It makes me tremble to think that every careless word will be judged. God's enemies are forced by a hand much stronger than their own to drink the cup filled with the wine of his fierce and righteous anger. Psalm 75 talks about this in poetic terms. God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another. For there is a cup in the Lord's hand, full of wine blended with spices and he pours from it all the wicked wicked of the earth will drink draining it to the dregs full complete eternal judgment draining it to the dregs now all of this, and we haven't even, I mean, I haven't gone through every image here, but, but but the picture that they paint in its fullness is pretty scary. This is not a fantasy novel. It's a pretty scary picture. And I want to say to you, Fear is good. It is good to fear the judgment of God. Somehow I think we've got into our heads today that all fear should be put aside. We should be rescued from ever fearing anything. That's not the case at all. What was it back in chapter 15, verse 4? Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Even the beast, the dragon, the great powers of the earth will fear God. It's good to fear that that which ought to be feared. I remember when I was uh, 19, I went to, uh, you know, I went to America and I remember on the very first day I arrived at this camp and there was like a ton of people there from all around the world and I was 19 and single. So I was like on a mission from the beginning and it wasn't evangelism, all right? It was a whole nother kind of mission and we were just standing there in this big outdoor area and uh, kind of introducing ourselves in this big circle and I was there to impress. And then as we were standing there, bizarrely, this enormous black uh, snake just came tearing through the middle of this big circle of like 30 or 40 people. And so I immediately just ran over to it and picked it up. And, um, and then I realized I was holding a snake and, um, and it was like doing the thing that snakes do, like turning around and trying to bite me, which is fair enough, okay? Because I just picked it up. And, um, and then so I, I just kind of kept my cool and walked away and threw it into the woods. And uh, it had the effect I was hoping for. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the guy who ran the camp, um, like ran the property, um, was actually involved in the Apollo Eleven mission. He was like this, this um, Texan, like that you didn't want to mess with, and uh, o- old guy, um, but uh, but Art, Art, um, came to me um, straight after while I was still basking in my own glory, and said to me, um, "What are you, an idiot?" <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, "I grew, i grown up around snakes, you know." killed dozens of them, and I'm not not afraid of snakes. And and, And he said, you should be, you should be scared of them. He said, there are some snakes around here that could kill you. And he had a point, you know, it's good to fear the thing that can harm you. If you are here this morning and you have not yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, if Jesus to you is not your Saviour and your Lord and your brother and your friend, then you should fear the image that John has been painting. God is not mocked. Everyone from the greatest to the least will face God's judgment. The great day of the Lord is coming. And if you haven't found refuge in the Good Shepherd, then you need to know that that judgment will be swift and it will be full. The cup of God's wrath will be drained to the dregs not just by Putin or Mao or Hitler, but by every single human being who hasn't run to Jesus for rescue. That's the truth. It is a scary picture, it should make us afraid, unless, unless, unless you're trusting in the blood of the lamb to save you. That's why it's called salvation. You need to know what you're being saved from. You're not being saved from loneliness or bad health or poverty, you're being saved from God and His righteous judgments. Let's pull up that, those couple of verses because I, I want you to notice something and it's, uh, it's good news, guys. It's, it's really, like it's too good to be true. Verse 17 and 19. Just notice, if you go, just flick onto the next slide where I've got a couple of highlights. Verse, there we go. Notice a couple of things here. So then the seventh, bowl poured, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, right? This is the, the final cataclysmic, climactic judgment of God. And what he said, what comes from the throne, remember that's where Jesus is, a loud voice came from the temple, from the throne, saying, It is done. He said that before, you know. Great city is split into three. Babylon the Great is remembered. God's enemies are judged. And the cup filled with the wine of God's fierce anger is given to them. Now, here's why you need not fear God's judgment this morning. You need not fear. It's because the outcome of this final judgment, right? the the outcome of this final battle for those who are here this morning who have thrown themselves and are throwing themselves on God's mercy, the outcome of that battle was decided long ago. Long before this final judgment, whether it's today or in 10,000 years, long before You were ever born. The outcome of this battle was decided. You remember Jesus? On the night he was betrayed, the kids are learning about it this morning. Ask them afterwards. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows the following morning he will be crucified. He's not so much afraid of the excruciating pain of crucifixion. What he fears is what all of us ought to fear. He fears the judgment and wrath of God. Jesus, the only one who deserves no judgment, is going to receive it for the sake of all who will believe in him. And so he kneels before the Father and he's sweating blood a phenomena that happens only to people who are under the most significant duress. Capillaries of his face are breaking under the strain and blood mixed with sweat is pouring down his brow and he he comes before his father who loves him and he says, if this cup can be taken from me, let's do that. If this cup of judgment filled with the wine of your fierce anger, Father, if that cup can pass from me, can you get inside the mind of Jesus in the garden on Thursday night? Can you appreciate what he's feeling? He knows what this means. He knows that for him, the only one who doesn't receive judgment, doesn't deserve judgment, he knows for him, he's not waiting until Armageddon. He's not waiting until the final judgment. He's going to receive his taste of God's wrath the next morning. And yet, the only one who doesn't deserve judgment says, not my will, but yours be done. And he drinks it. To the dregs. Why? It's insanity. The only one who doesn't deserve to bear God's wrath does it willingly. Why? How deep the Father's love for us. How rich beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. God, it makes no sense. Do you know that you're a wretch? I'm sorry, that was louder than I meant it to be. But do you know that you're a wretch? I know and I don't know enough. not my will but yours be done he said and he drank the cup of god's wrath in its fullness and then from the cross he says it is done he says it from the throne at the end and he says it on the cross as he dies it is finished The final judgment is yet to come, the judgment on those who refuse to repent and run to Jesus for mercy. But for us, it is done, was said on the cross. It's already been decided. It's already been settled. So now, there is no wrath to be poured out on you or me. Not if you're trusting in Jesus. All of that wrath that you were destined to suffer under, has already been poured out. It's empty. He took it all. He absorbed it all. Sometimes I just think about the gospel, and I, I just don't. I don't. I don't know what to say. Let 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 me just let. Paul's going to say it for me, all right? Let me just sum it up with this. This is the whole thing right here, Romans 5. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by His blood, will be, we be saved through Him from what? From wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Hallelujah. I don't want to say anything more. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know what to say. This is too good to be true. I pray that we would believe that it's true. Hey, I, I pray first of all for those who are here this morning who haven't thrown themselves on your mercy, Lord God, just just tear open their hearts right now. It, just even as we pray. Church, you, you need to pray now for anyone in this room who who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as a merciful Savior. Jesus, you, you are a lamb that was slaughtered so that we didn't have to be slaughtered. You're the son who was executed so that we can be spared from that judgment. Please, please, Lord, just open the eyes of our hearts in this room right now. Those who who haven't yet clipped that this good news is good news for them. I pray that they would know it, receive it, believe it, be saved. Th- those of us who think we know it, but it, it's just now falling into place for us, the weight of it. Lord, I pray that that seed would find good ground and flourish. Those of us, Lord, who, who minimize our wretchedness, I pray that we would come to terms with your just judgment, the the punishment we deserve as much as any other person. I pray, God, right now, that you would release in this room such a, a torrent of gratitude and thanksgiving for grace, unmerited love. Such a a flood of thanksgiving that we would experience some worship here in this place this morning. True worship, full of affection full of gratitude, full of love, a celebration of your goodness and your grace. And I pray these things in the name of the Lamb who was slain, the risen and reigning and returning, Lord Jesus. Amen sit tight sit tight think about these things that you've heard from god's word this morning
1: throne of grace, to you belongs the highest praise. Please suffer